It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, August 11th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Yet another worry about China. It's buying up American farmland. And Congressman Dusty Johnson wants to stop it. Just think about the kinds of power that Russia has had over Europe in the last six months over Ukraine. Because Europe is too dependent on Russian energy, that's the same kind of power that China could have over America if we don't act. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The handling of classified documents, that's the reason for the FBI search at the home of former President Trump. At least that's what his attorney says is listed on the warrant. But some think there might be more to this and that the Justice Department needs to explain itself. All we want to know is that the Justice Department acted reasonably here, that they didn't go from like an amicable negotiation with lawyers to DEFCON 5. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. China has been playing war games around Taiwan, which has done its own military drills in response, fearing China is simulating an invasion. Angry over House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to the island. Our purpose in going to Taiwan was to say that we have this strong relationship built on the status quo, which we support. The concern about China, though, doesn't end there. It extends to Africa. The thing I think I'm most worried about uh, is uh, this military base uh, on the Atlantic coast. General Stephen Townsend, the outgoing commander of U.S. Africa Command, worries that China is seeking to build a second base on the continent, part of a Chinese initiative in Asia and Africa to develop infrastructure to make countries dependent on China. And that concern extends all the way to the U.S., where China is buying up American farmland. I'm very worried, and frankly, Americans are not paying enough attention to China. Congressman Dusty Johnson is a Republican from South Dakota. Food security is national security. And, you know, we really, over the course of the last 20 years, but particularly in the last 10 years, have not paid enough attention to the fact that China's strategic goal is to gobble up as much uh, farmland and as much agricultural processing as they can outside of China. They have done a lot of that in America and elsewhere. It's a real problem. How much farmland are we talking about here that China has now that it owns in America? Uh, Well, billions of dollars worth across the globe and increasing at a rapid pace. In the last 10 years, they have increased tenfold their holdings of uh, farmland. There's a relatively high-profile case in North Dakota where they purchased a relatively large piece of farm ground just 12 miles away from the Grand Forks Air Force Base. And national security experts are really concerned. I mean, we know that the biggest long-term threat to American military secrets is theft from China. And the fact that we're letting get that close to base is a problem. So you don't think that their purchase in Grand Forks, North Dakota, near the air base there, is is a coincidence. 
Do I know the hearts uh, and the intentions of uh, these people? No. And I want to make it clear, you know, I'm sure there are lots of freedom loving entrepreneurs with Chinese backgrounds. And this is not at all about anyone's ethnicity. This is about ties and affiliations to the Chinese Communist Party. China is among the very most tyrannical regimes that we have seen in modern history. And they have as their stated goal to displace America as the world's uh, lone superpower. And so when you have actors affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party who are getting closer and closer to our military bases and are getting more and more control over America's food supply, shame on us, shame on Congress if we don't act. That's why I've uh, introduced two bills to be able to combat uh, these efforts. Okay. So what do you ultimately hope Congress does? You want to ban China from buying up farmland, from buying property? How, How do you do it? Absolutely. And I understand this is a global economy. And I understand that there are, you know, overwhelmingly, when you've got uh, multinational companies that want to invest in America, that's good for America. That's good for the American worker. This is not Japan or Australia or Canada or Germany we're talking about. This is the CCP. And so, yes, one bill that I'm the leader on would ban China from purchasing agricultural processing facilities in this country. Uh, Another bill uh, that I'm a leader on would ban China from purchasing American farmland. We should, in a bipartisan way, pass those bills now. How much Democrat support do you have, though? Well, very limited to start with, but I think we have an opportunity to grow that. You know, some people in my party have criticized Speaker Pelosi's trip, but I'm just sick and tired of us being bullied by China. I think that Uh, We want to be an ally to Taiwan. We certainly do not want to get into a shooting war with China. Uh, We do need to act in thoughtful ways. But part of those thoughtful actions are not letting the saber rattling of China keep us from passing the kind of legislation we need to pass to protect American food supply. Why does China want to grow their holdings of our food supply here then? What would be the goal? So if you're, I mean, just put yourself in the shoes of the Chinese Communist Party. How do you get leverage over America? How do you try to convince America to leave China alone? And having uh, control over American food supply is, is an incredibly powerful way to get that done. Just think about the kinds of power that Russia has had over Europe in the last six months over Ukraine, because Europe is too dependent on Russian energy. That's the same kind of power that China could have over America if we don't act. We have like something like 900 million acres of total farmland here in the U.S. What China owns now is a tiny portion of that. Well, today the threat is modest. As you note, uh, Chinese uh, farmland holdings in this country are, are pretty small. Now, their profile of agricultural processing is more substantial. They, I mean, Smithfield, uh, which is one of America's big four meat processors, is owned by China. So I think the threat is still nascent. It's still fledgling. But uh, the time for us to protect American farmland is now. And I would note it's not just China. We also have, you know, people like Bill Gates. Uh, He's America's largest owner of farmland today. And this is a guy who has as his stated goal that people in developed countries should not eat red meat unless it's grown in a laboratory. So back up. Bill Gates, we know him from Microsoft. He owns more farmland than anybody else in the U.S.? 
than anyone else in America. So, I mean, obviously you don't have any legislation to prevent him from doing that. What would you want done about Bill Gates? Yeah, and and you're exactly right. I don't have legislation that would tell an American citizen who happens to be successful that they can't engage in free market practices. I do think we need to be willing to ask some real questions, though. And I have asked the chairman of the Ag Committee to invite Mr. Gates in to explain what are his plans for American agriculture. So we are in the process now of writing a farm bill that has to be done next year. And we have a number of mechanisms in place in the farm bill to make sure that, you know, multi-generational family farms can continue to do what they do to feed the world. We really want somebody like Bill Gates, if he's going to be idling this land, if he's going to be kicking the cattle off the land, if he's going to stop farming the land, do we want to reward him for those practices? Let's make sure we write a farm bill in a way that is focused on American success. Now shifting to a bill the House will soon vote on. The Democrats call the Inflation Reduction Act. This is going to reduce the costs that hit American families in their pocketbook. Prescription drug costs, health care costs. Senator Chris Coons and the Democrats approved it Sunday without any Republican support. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer hailed the climate change initiatives. The world will be a better place for my grandchildren because of what we did today. And that makes me feel... Very, very good. It's a $739 billion package funded in part by tax increases on some corporations, which Republicans say will be passed on to consumers. So Congressman Johnson will vote no. I know some of my colleagues are trying to convince you that every single page and every single line is pure evil. That's not really the way I do business. There are clearly some parts of this bill that we should be willing to talk about. But as a whole package, this thing is not what we need right now. It is not going to solve the inflation problem in this country. And anybody who tells you that's putting more government money out on the streets is going to reduce the price of products has never taken a microeconomics class or a macroeconomics class, rather. And so I just think we need to get back to a point where we're trying to build some common ground. There are things we can work on. If the Democrats would just take a minute to try to figure out how do we make our communities safer, how do we work together to try to push back against the China threat, Republicans should vote no, and I think almost all of us will. The fight against climate change that's in the bill would be to incentivize companies and people for renewable energy at home. There's a debate about the rebates for electric cars that it may not actually cover most electric cars. Have you read that part yet? I have. I wouldn't claim to be an expert on it yet. That's part of the problem of these packages coming to fruition so quickly. And listen, I'm I'm a big lover of freedom. If you want to go buy an electric car, good on you. And there are probably some people in some parts of the country where that would make a fair amount of sense for them. That is not the case for most of us in South Dakota, of course. And I do think there's lots of analysis that these rebates overwhelmingly go into the pockets of America's most wealthy people. And again, I don't have any problem with wealthy people. I love success. I'd love to have more of them running around. But I think we want our policies to be targeted in a way that really do move the needle on the environment. Of course, we want a clean environment. So many of the things that my colleagues on the left have pushed over the last 20 years don't work. What does work is the private sector building a better mousetrap. And in fact, our country over the course of the last few years has reduced our carbon footprint by more than the next 15 carbon-reducing countries combined. The command and control approach of Europe does not work. Their emissions are increasing. 
The big raid Monday, big story. Republicans in Congress have been over and over calling for more answers from the Justice Department, more information. What's your reaction to what happened on Monday at Mar-a-Lago in Florida with the former president's residence? Well, no one's above the law, of course, but I think we do want to acknowledge that this is an unusual and a quite aggressive law enforcement tactic. The FBI does not conduct raids like this with any kind of a real frequency. And I, I think you're right to start your question with the issue of transparency. There is not as much trust in the FBI in this country as I think there needs to be. We want, I mean, we need Americans to believe in institutions. Uh, those are the kinds of institutions that bind us together. We cannot have this country spiral out of control. We distrust every single institution. Now, some of your colleagues uh, in Congress met with the former president Tuesday night talking about this, and they say he's made up his mind now about running in 2024. Is that something that uh, would you support the former president if he was the uh, nominee again? Well, I'd say this. The Republican Party doesn't do coronations. We do primaries. And uh, frankly, I love it. I think that's where you that's that's where you test these ideas. That's where you test the message. That's where you get a sense of what should the vision be for the United States of America. I would hate to short circuit that process. I think primaries make candidates better. And I think there is a whole new generation of Republican leaders who want to help guide this country, I, we will do ourselves a big disservice if we don't at least have that conversation, meet these leaders and get a sense of where they want to take this country. Let's let these things play out rather than try to have a coronation. Republican Congressman Dusty Johnson from South Dakota. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's been a heck of a legal week for former President Trump. Wednesday, he invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination during a deposition before the New York Attorney General, who alleges the Trump Organization previously lied about the value of certain assets. And of course, Monday, the former president's home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, was searched by the FBI. We have some breaking news. Former President Donald Trump says his home at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida is, as he describes it, currently under siege, raided, and occupied by a large group of FBI. FBI agents. Um, Trump said in a statement the search amounted to prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system, and an attack by radical left Democrats who desperately don't want him to run for president again. Trump attorney Christina Bob has since said the warrant cited possible violations of laws pertaining to the handling of classified materials. As for the events leading up to all of this, officials at the National Archives, which keeps presidential records, said they'd received 15 boxes of documents from the Trump team after negotiating for their return. When they found classified material inside, they told the Justice Department. In May, DOJ subpoenaed those classified documents from the National Archives, and it was reported DOJ officials then went to Mar-a-Lago to talk to Trump's representatives in June. 
Reaction has since, of course, poured in. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said this represented another escalation in the weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents, his words. Others, like Maryland's Republican Governor Larry Hogan, even former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, said the Justice Department should provide some explanation here. Well, you can't get a search warrant in the absence of probable cause that a crime was committed. Andy McCarthy is a former federal prosecutor and contributing editor at the National Review. Right, so we start from the premise that unlike a lot of the investigations that have uh, taken place over the years, this is clearly a criminal investigation and they have a search warrant from a court. You know, I, I think we're a little bit cavalier with our language about searches. So, you know, we call mm-hmm. this a raid in the media it's really not a raid you know it's kind of almost the opposite of a raid they go to court they get permission and the court gives them an order and they can't get it without showing probable cause both that a crime was committed and that they uh it's more likely than not that they'll find evidence of the crime in the place they want to search so when you attach that to a former president and you're saying not only mm. might a former president be implicated in a crime, but there's evidence of the crime in his premises, I think that's a pretty big deal. We know there was a back and forth for months over returning some of the documents that were at Mar-a-Lago to the National Archives, right? Some had been returned, but there were apparently other documents that the National Archives was saying that, that the former president still had. However, in the documents that were returned, the National Archives told the Justice Department, hey, we think we found some classified documents here. Is that central to this, that the National Archives told DOJ these appear to be classified documents. It is central because it suggests two things. One is classified information was in a place where it's not supposed to be stored. Now, I don't know what the storage conditions were down in Mar-a-Lago. President Trump spent enough time down there while he was president that you presume that they had some facilities that were Uh, authorized for maintaining classified information. But assuming that you're not supposed to have classified information down at Mar-a-Lago and the government can't be uh, completely confident that classified information, uh, once he's in his post-presidency and whatever facilities they have there, presumably are not, you know, what they were when he was president. Um, If he returns classified information to them, that's evidence that it was in a place that it wasn't supposed to be, Um, number one. And number two, since he hasn't returned everything that they want, you know, he returned evidently, was it 15 boxes of stuff, I think, in, in January of 2022, or at least that's when they let the Justice Department know about it. But he didn't return everything. So you have to assume that there's a likelihood that there's more classified information down there that he hasn't returned. So you have the evidence both that there already was a classified information violation and there may be a continuing one. So let's talk about the Presidential Records Act for a moment, because that's what all of this is is being done under. Right. There's this act from the late 70s. It says, you know, all these documents do need to be preserved. Is there something else that would apply pertaining to the handling of classified information that's being used here as opposed to the Presidential Records Act? Or can you clarify sort of the legal, I guess, the legal umbrella that we're talking about all of this under? Yeah, it's a great question, because up until this act was enacted in the Watergate era, 
presidents were the custodians of the records of their administration. And then there was a big controversy during Watergate over whether Nixon's records were government records or Nixon's records because they were relevant to a criminal investigation. And at that point, uh-huh. Congress decided, well, we better uh, clarify you know, what belongs to the government, what belongs to the president. So the assumption since the 1970s has been Records generated by a president are not the president's personal records. They're government records. They're the property of the United States. So the problem with the Presidential Records Act from a prosecution standpoint is it's not a criminal law. And the, the problem with that is if there's no criminal provision in it, you know, people generally tend to like not follow it to the letter because, you know, there's no real consequence for it. So the most important thing I would assume And again, we're speculating because we haven't gotten to see anything, right? We don't get to see the warrant. We haven't gotten to see the underlying papers. But we know it's a criminal case because there was a search warrant. You can only have a search warrant in a criminal case. So what are the possible criminal laws that apply here when the, the Presidential Records Act is not a criminal law? And the answer to that has to be, to my mind, classified information. What that is a judgment about is... If this information fell into the wrong hands, if it fell into the hands of, say, a hostile foreign government, how damaging would it be to the United States? So I imagine that what we're talking about here is classified information because there's a lot of criminal laws that apply to mishandling or worse with classified information. Okay. We know the National Archives has given documents to the January 6th committee before. We know the former president tried to block that from happening, and the Supreme Court said no earlier this year. But do we know if these documents would or would not go to the January 6th committee, and does it depend on, I guess, what all's in there? Yeah, it depends on what's in there. I, you know, I don't think it's reasonable to think that what Trump took when he left and let's remember now it's it's hard to recreate this and and the chaos that was going on at the time but you know trump wasn't planning to leave he was planning to stay so it was abruptly after the january 6th riot and in the midst of uh you know all this talk about invoking the 25th amendment and then finally the house impeachment that's when he decamped to mar-a-lago and that was a chaotic time and it looks like they packed up you know, pretty haphazardly. Um, And that may explain, you know, why some of the stuff that ended up in Mar-a-Lago ended up there. I don't know how exacting President Trump was or or even if he much participated. Remember, the January 6th committee didn't exist at that time. So the thought that, you know, they were taking stuff with them with an eye toward what they might keep away from a congressional committee at some future point, I think is far-fetched. And I doubt that what the committee is looking at is necessarily the same classified documents that the National Archives and the FBI may be interested in getting back. I, you know, there could be some some overlap with that, but I'd be surprised. There is pressure on the Justice Department to explain the justification for the raid. Obvious reasons, right? You have some conservatives saying this looks like the weaponization of the FBI and DOJ. They're just looking for any way to stop Trump from running again. Do they not justify the search of Mar-a-Lago because they they don't want to come across, you know, as being heavy handed before actually accusing of anything? Or would they be making an exception and laying out some justification? And there's a risk there, too. Like what what's your thought about the quietness from DOJ and the White House? Well, some of this is cultural 
and kind of natural on the part of the Justice Department, right? So if I was still at the Justice Department all these years later, I would probably tell you I cannot confirm or deny the fact that we're having this conversation. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that's how, you know, they get pretty paranoid about anything that has to do with discussing investigations. So right. that's kind of in the DNA of the Justice Department. On the other hand, and this is never easy for law enforcement people to wrap their brains around, but sometimes there are higher priorities than protecting an investigation in terms of the national interest. And I think this is one of them. You know, we've never had a situation before where a former president of the United States uh, not only is a, a prime subject, apparently, of a criminal investigation, but they do a search warrant at his home. So what I want to hear, what I think most people want to hear is, you know, look, they had important national security information down there that if it fell in the wrong hands, it could really hurt the country. All we want to know is that the Justice Department acted reasonably here, that they didn't right. go from like an amicable negotiation with lawyers to DEFCON 5, where they, you know, they went immediately to the most intrusive way that you get information and evidence in the government. And I don't see why Garland doesn't come out and just explain that if he's got a good explanation that doesn't require him to compromise the investigation. But it might put a lot of people's minds at ease if he can explain that the Justice Department was reasonable here. And finally, a day after the FBI went to Mar-a-Lago, Congressman Scott Perry, a supporter of uh, former President Trump, said the FBI took his phone. Do we even know yet if that's linked to the former president, or is that possibly a completely separate investigation and has nothing to do with the former president? I can't imagine that. Uh, I think that the search warrant on Mar-a-Lago was pretextual. What I mean is that they have a closet agenda, that they're very happy that they had a legal basis to go in and do this search because it might help them find evidence of what's a higher priority for them, which is the January 6th investigation. And I don't see how you can separate what happened at Mar-a-Lago from what's happened in the last six weeks. So it's not just what happened to Scott Perry. In late June, they did search warrants on two of the lawyers who were implicated in the January 6 events. So they did a search warrant on Jeff Clark, uh, where they went into his home and took all his devices and they had him sit outside in his pajamas for three hours while they went through his place. And then that night, John Eastman, who was one of Trump's main lawyers during the January 6th right. stuff, was coming out of a restaurant in New Mexico and they stopped him just like they stopped Perry and they took his phone oh. with a search warrant. And then last week they issued grand jury subpoenas for two of the lawyers from the Trump White House counsel's office, the, the chief White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, and his deputy, right. Patrick Philbin. So I think if you take this like six week pattern that goes from mm. the search warrants on on Clark and Eastman to the search warrant on Perry, I don't see how you can look at Mar-a-Lago and say, well, that's a that's a one off. It's completely separate. It looks to me like it's, you know, of a piece with everything else. Well, hopefully we'll find out sooner rather than later what all this is leading to. Andy McCarthy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much.
Download the one, the one with Craig Gutfeld. Jennifer Haramai. Uh, my ex-husband, Neil Haggerty, like, we wrote all the songs together, but then he pieced out and yeah. didn't want anything to do with the mixing. Right. So, you know, you know you're, you're putting stuff in my lap, and you're, you're going to get a little bit of my flavors. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? Of all the ridiculous provisions in the Democrats' absurdly named Inflation Reduction Act, perhaps the most amazing is the lavish subsidy it provides for the rich and famous. The bill expands upon already deep federal subsidies for Americans who purchase electric vehicles. There are myriad reasons why this is a bad idea. First of all, as many have pointed out, the electricity that runs these futuristic vehicles doesn't just flow freely from the sky, as envisioned by Nikola Tesla, whose name is now synonymous with electric vehicles. Rather, these supposedly green status symbols on our roads are powered by the grid. And what powers the grid? In many cases, the very fossil fuels meant to be phased out. Added to this is the fact that a mandate in the bill requires that the rare minerals needed for the batteries may not come from Russia or China. The only problem is that American auto manufacturers say that without those sources, they simply can't meet demand. So the already months long waiting lists for many EVs may only get worse. It also isn't clear that this measure will actually lower prices. In fact, manufacturers may simply use the subsidy to create nicer products at the same bottom line cost for their mostly well-off consumers. But perhaps the biggest flaw of the bill and the one that will stick in the craw of middle-class Americans most pointedly is that the average price of a new EV is well over $54,000 with many much more expensive. Even used EVs, which get a smaller subsidy in the legislation, don't come cheap. For the average American, this is a luxury item. Even with Uncle Sam kicking in $7,500, if all requirements are meant, it's a reach these days. It's like giving everyone a $1,000 gift card to the Rolex store. Great, but where do we get the other nine grand? There are also regional disparities to consider. California, for example, has over 550,000 electric cars, which dwarves Texas, which has a mere 130,000, and New York with a paltry 62,000. This makes the Golden State a much easier place to drive electric, in part because California Democrats intentionally increased gas prices to create an incentive, which resulted in an enormous amount of charging stations and a culture surrounding the vehicles. They call this policy a win. But with Californians fleeing the state for less progressive and expensive confines, is this really a path the entire country should be going down? And more broadly, is this even the best way to encourage the growth of the electric vehicle industry? In the last decade, owing to free market competition with gas guzzlers, EVs have become more competitive. The best way to encourage that is to allow that fair competition to continue, not for the federal government to put its thumb on the scale. The bottom line is that Top-down attempts to manipulate the American economy so as to achieve environmental or social goals are always a failure. Americans will broadly adopt EVs when they reach a point of equality or superiority in the marketplace. The actions of people like California Governor Gavin Newsom and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to inflict pain at the pump to prime this change is hurting people. And now, with this subsidy for the wealthy, the Democrats once again are aiming to make the problem worse. This is David Marcus, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed the Nation. 
listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to Everyone Talks to Liz. Fox Business's Liz Clayman talks with entrepreneurs and executives about inspiring and motivational stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.